In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So, God willing, today we're going to continue where we left off last time, speaking about the Orthodox afterlife. Um, one thing I just wanted to reiterate again um, that we mentioned last time was the reason why we, we look at this. Um, we look at this not because there's necessarily any definitive answers about the details of things that happen after death, for sure, the things that the Lord speaks about in the scriptures, we know for sure. Um, but then we look at other things like experiences that people have, and we try to glean from them um, some useful information, some things to help us to understand this process of death. Um, and the main purpose of this is so that we can be alert and prepared for this moment, which obviously all of us are going to experience at some point. Um, so we're going to continue today and speak about um, one of the stories of the um, death experiences that happened to a person. There's going to be a lot of reading, um, but I'm going to try to kind of stop and maybe talk about and give commentary about some of the things that are said. You know, I debated whether we should read all this or not. This is actually uh, straight from the book. And actually, by the way, there's books here. Um, if anyone would like a copy of the book after the meeting, um, feel free to come and, and get a copy. Um, I would ask that we could limit it to one per family just because um, the number of books we have is limited. Um, so we are going to read the, the story um, because uh, there's a lot of good, good information there. There's two types of afterlife experiences that are mentioned in the book. Um, the first is uh, those people who actually die, okay? And those people who actually die so that their spirits actually cross over and see, you know, what is awaiting them. But at some point, their spirits are returned to their bodies and they live again. For whatever reason, God allowed this to happen. God allowed them to see this and to return. Similar to how St. Paul, uh, when he was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, he had a vision of heaven. God allowed him to see it, okay, and, 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 and in his life. But this was the second one, actually. So the second one is St. Paul. He sees while he's still in the body and are granted the opportunity to observe what comes after death without actually dying, right? But the first one is when someone actually, when someone actually dies. So to answer this question, was, what is it like to actually die? We focus on this near-death account by Mr. K. Uh, School, and I don't know how to pronounce his name very well. I'm not sure if I'm even pronouncing it right. So I'm just going to call him Mr. Yu <laughs> from now on. Um, this was published in the 19th century in a publication called the Moscow Journal. Um, in 1916, Archbishop uh, Nikon of the Russian Orthodox Church, he reprinted the article in his publication called Trinity Pages. And he said the following about it. He said, in regard to this narrative, in due time, we had correspondence with its author, who after ascertaining its validity, testified that his subject, after relating his experience, entered into a monastery. In view of the fact that nothing in his narrative is in contradiction to the stand of the church on the mystery of death and the life beyond death, we feel it beneficial to reprint this article as a separate publication. And this is exactly what I was saying before. It is beneficial for us. And here, th this bishop of the Russian Orthodox Church, he, he confirmed its validity. Um, again, this man was, was Russian, this man, Mr. Yu. Um, in order to get an idea and a sense of uh, who this man was, to kind of put into context, like his account, um, this is his quotation um, when he's retelling his story. He says, 
Having grown up in an Orthodox Christian and rather devout family, I did not turn out to be a vehement disbeliever. In essence, I turned out to be something very indefinite. I was not an atheist, and in no way could I regard myself as having been to any degree a religious man. One important thing about this account is this man was not a very religious man. You know, someone who is very religious, um, you can imagine that they have a certain expectation or, or bias toward what they would expect to see after death. Um, this man was not a religious man, and actually when we start to read his account, you can see very quickly that he was very, um, he was very surprised, and, and, and he kind of, um, this isn't what he believed that was going to happen to him. Essentially, he believed that after death, he was going to just disappear. Officially, I bore the name of a Christian, but undoubtedly never thought of whether I really had the right to such a name. I never even had the slightest inclination to check what the calling of a Christian demands from me and whether I satisfy these demands. I always said I believed in God, but if I were asked how I believe, I can only imagine what absurdities I would have given for answers. So here we see maybe something that many people share, which is the idea that we consider ourselves to be Christian, but we do no Christian act, right? Maybe I consider myself to be Christian because I was born in a Christian family. Maybe because my parents are Christian. Maybe because I have the tradition of I go to church once or twice a year on the major feast days. Um, and I consider myself to be a Christian. I don't consider myself to be anything else. I can't say that I'm of any other religion. I can't say that I'm an atheist necessarily. But when it comes to my Christian faith, I practice it maybe to the, to the minimal, to the least amount that I practically can so if you ask me on a form, what religion am I, I will say that I'm a Christian. But in practice, if you look at my life, you don't necessarily see anything that indicates so. Um, I'm not going to the church regularly. I'm not serving in the church. I'm, I'm maybe even in my personal life, I'm not making any attempt to live according to Christian principles. And as we see uh, in this man, actually, even the idea of life after death for him was, you know, he was very skeptical about it. This is an example um, that he speaks about himself. He says, I do not know how and from what our belief in the life hereafter could have arisen. It is natural to think that a man dies. This is what he's saying his beliefs were before this uh, death experience that he had. It is natural to think that a man dies, and well, it all ends there. You see him still and not breathing. All this decays. What ideas of some kind of life can there be uh, here in this state. So when you observe that someone is still not moving, dead, then you can say, well, this is the end, right? And, and the, the mindset here is that we are focusing very much on the body, right? We're focusing very much on this world, and we're focusing very much on our five senses that God has given us. But one of the most fundamental things, not even when we just speak about death, but when we speak about orthodoxy in general, one of the, one of the very important principles of orthodoxy is that there is no separation between heaven and earth. Okay, we often consider this separation because our senses are limited to helping us to see heaven. We don't see it. We don't hear people there. We don't talk to people there. What is the evidence that there are people there? It's limited. We can't perceive it the way that we can obviously perceive life here on earth, right? So, to a great many people, and maybe even to us, we kind of consider that heaven is this far-off place where people 
you know, are kind of not aware of us and we are not aware of them. And it's a completely different place altogether, right? When we speak about things like intercession of the saints, you know, intercession of the saints is essentially I can talk to the saints. I can speak to people who have died and they hear me and they can pray on my behalf, right? How could we have such a belief unless we believed that there was no separation between heaven and earth, right? Even when we pray, you know, we pray because we believe God, who is spirit, hears us, right? We believe that there is a life different from this life on earth, and that not only is this life after this life, but it is a parallel life. It is a life that is happening now, right? It is a life that is happening now. Maybe a good analogy that I like to use to kind of consider this is, imagine you have an ant farm, okay? And in this ant farm, all the ants are doing is very important to them, right? They're digging and they're burrowing and they're making little compartments in the sand and they're moving up and down. But from a human perspective, regardless of how important these ants think that their work is, all they're essentially doing is moving dirt from one place to another. That's it. And to them, that is all of existence. There is nothing else. There is nothing else beyond that life, moving dirt from here to there, right? We as human beings, looking at these ants, can understand why they would think that, why they would believe that. But simultaneously, we know that there is another life that is happening, you know, a very different kind of life. And there is no way for us as humans to describe to those ants, to find the vocabulary, to describe to them what life is really like. What really is life, right? Because the ants obviously are unable to comprehend. This is the same way that it, uh, that it is with us in heaven. Even when St. Paul had his vision of heaven and he returned again, he said that he could not describe the things that he saw. Like there was no human language that could, you know, describe and help us to comprehend what is there because it's fundamentally different. Just as an ant, you know, if you try to explain to the ant about the stock market, you know, there is no vocabulary. There is no words you can describe to an ant the stock market. They will never understand. And one of the things that we're going to see in the story here is that when this guy, Mr. Yu, when he dies, he speaks about himself as having a deeper sense of understanding, of being able to think clearly, of being able to see and perceive things that he never was able to see or perceive before. Even his mind was like, no longer limited as much as it was before. But here, when he is still in the flesh, before he had this experience, maybe like many of us, he sees that this world is the only world. This world is all that there is, and there is no way for me to see beyond. There is no way even to have faith beyond if I am only relying on my senses. Okay? Here now is the beginning, and like I said, unfortunately, there's a lot of reading. I'm going to read it. Um, there's a lot of reading for us to kind of get a sense and a depth of his experience. And I, and I felt it was important to read it because the most beneficial thing is to actually see the true experience of a person who actually experienced this, okay? <coughs> so he says, th this is now at the time of his death, okay? This is like, uh, he died of pneumonia, right? So he was in a hospital bed. And on that bed is when he died, okay? So he says, all my attention was concentrated on myself. But here there were also was an astonishing peculiar quality 
a certain state of division within me. I felt and was conscious of myself with complete clarity and certainty. And at the same time, I had a feeling of such indifference to myself that it seemed as if I had even lost the capacity of perceiving physical sensations. One of the things that really strikes me about his story is the way that he describes how important the world was for him. You know, we spend our life trying to protect our things, trying to protect those people who are, are close to us, trying to protect the things we've accumulated in this life, the things that we are familiar with in this life. And yet, when we read the story of this man, it was like in the moment of his death, suddenly everything that he ever experienced in the world was irrelevant. Everything he experienced in the world no longer had any value to him. Even the people that he knew in this world, it's like you're, you're no, you, it no longer matters. You know, it no longer matters. Nothing that he had matters. He's, a, he's in a completely new place. And he's like a freshman in this place. You know, he's like... There is, there, is no, there is nothing that, 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 he, that had happened before now, now makes a difference to him. For example, I saw how the doctor extended his hand and felt my pulse. I saw and understood what he was doing, but did not feel his contact with my body. I saw and understood that the doctors, having raised me, continued to do something and were making a fuss over my back where evidently the edema had begun, but I felt nothing. And this not because I actually lost the capacity to perceive these sensations, but because having withdrawn somewhere deep within myself, I did not listen to or observe what they were doing to me. So it's kind of like he no longer cared about his senses. You know, he, um, he, he, it's not that he wasn't able to feel, it's just that those feelings were irrelevant to him. Kind of makes us think of the words of King Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, where he says everything is vanity, you know. In my life, these things are so important, and certainly my health, right, is so important in our lives. And yet now, after having died, it was like irrelevant to him. It seemed as if suddenly two beings or essences were manifested in me, one concealed somewhere deep within, and this was the main part of me, the other external and evidently less significant, and now it seemed as if that which had bound these two either burned itself out or melted, and these two essences separated, the stronger of these being felt more vividly and with greater certainty, and the weaker becoming a matter of indifference. We spoke last time about what is it that keeps the spirit here with the body. You know, when the body dies, this is when the spirit is free. It is no longer bound to the body anymore. And this is what he's describing. He's describing this process whereby the spirit becomes separated from the body. The body here has died, and the spirit no longer has any reason to remain with the body any longer. Okay? It's as though this body has burned itself out. It is no, has no strength in it anymore. It has no power in it anymore. And so all the desires of the flesh have disappeared. You know, Sometimes people ask the question about heaven, maybe children, or maybe even adults, um, we think about the things that we love, right? We think, we think about the things we enjoy, and we ask, does heaven have any of these things? You know, like, let's say someone really loves fishing. And for them, fishing is like the greatest thing you can do. And they look forward to fishing. They want to fish. They have thousands of dollars of fishing equipment. And any time in their life when they're stressed, they go fishing. They look forward to fishing. Fishing is like the best thing for them. And then they say, well, is there fishing in heaven? And the answer is no. 
There's no fishing in heaven. You know, why would I enjoy it? Why am I going to like it? You know, um, what is there to do there? You know, and, and children will ask, you know, what is there? Like, is there games? Is there fun things? Are there amusement parks? Um, like, the answer is no. None of those things are there. What about my pets? No. None of those things are there, right? All the things that I enjoyed in my body are not there. And so some people will say, well, that's not going to be a, fun, a nice place to be because those things are not there, you know, because we have become so programmed that the things we enjoy to do are those specific set of things. But here in this moment where the body dies and the spirit becomes separated from the body, none of the things that we enjoyed are going to matter anymore. None of those things are going to catch our attention anymore. And the things that we will enjoy are going to be a completely different category of things, right? And this is here, we see this, you know, in his description, right? Everything about the body is indifferent now. I don't care about the body. I don't care about the things of the body, right? It just becomes indifferent to him. Um, this weaker part or being was my body. I can imagine how perhaps even only a few days ago, I would have been struck by the manifestation in myself of this hitherto unknown to me internal being and the realization of its superiority over that other part of me, which according to my previous beliefs made up the whole being of man, but which I now did not even notice, right? He's saying a few days ago, the spirit was invisible to me. I didn't even, I didn't even think about the spirit. The spirit was not something I paid attention to. And instead, I paid all the attention to the body. All my focus was on what did my body want? I have to eat. I have to drink. I have to sleep. What are my desires? What are the things that I wish to do and I seek out to do? He's saying in his life, that's all he cared about. That's all he thought about. Okay? But now he's saying all those things have no value to me anymore. Right? What I thought to be the superior, which is the body, is now the inferior, is now the thing that, you know, is, is really not that critical to me. Um, the state of being was most astounding. This state of being was most astounding. To live, see, hear, and understand all, and at the same time, seemingly not to see or understand anything, to feel such alienation with regard to everything. Thus, for example, the doctor asks me a question. I hear and understand that which he asks but I do not reply. I do not give an answer because I feel there is no reason for me to speak to him. And yet he fusses and worries over me, but he is concerned with that half of me which now has lost all meaning for myself and with which I feel I have nothing to do. Right? The, body, the, the doctor here, he's caring about reviving the body. He's caring about bringing to life again the body. And this man, he's saying, I don't even care about my body anymore. Like, it has no value to me anymore. It, I am, it, it is indifferent to me. Think, see how the, the, the mentality of this person... Remember, this person was an atheist. You know, he, 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 said, he said he could be considered such as an atheist, right? And he considered that the body, after it died, it simply disappeared. This was not like a very religious man. This wasn't a man who prayed to God every day or attended church or had any of these beliefs about heaven. But even he, the moment that he died... Suddenly, his, his consciousness changed. His, his, his perception of reality changed. There was no, none of what was there before, right? And so even this doctor who's trying to save his life 
He's like, I don't care if he saves my life. I don't care if he saves my body. My body is indifferent to me. <coughs> but suddenly, the other half asserted itself, and in so striking and unusual a manner, the other half is his spirit, I suddenly felt myself drawn somewhere downward with irresistible force. During the first minutes, this sensation was similar to having heavy, massive weights tied to all the members of my body. But shortly following this, such a comparison could not justly describe my state of feeling. This representation of such an attraction now seemed comparatively insignificant. No, here some kind of law of gravitational attraction of most tremendous power was acting. It seemed to me that not as only I as a whole, but every member, every hair, the, the thinnest tendon, each cell of my body was separately being drawn somehow, somewhere with such irresistibility as a strong magnet attracts pieces of metal to itself. So it has this very strong sensation of being pulled downward. And yet, no matter how strong the sensation might have been, it did not hinder me from thinking and being conscious of everything. I was also conscious of the strangeness of this phenomenon. I remembered and was conscious of reality. That is to say that I laid in bed, that my ward was on the second floor, and that below me there was an identical room, but at the same time, according to the strength of the sensation, I was certain that if below me there were not one, but ten rooms piled on top of one another, that this would there were not were not one, but ten sorry, but this would suddenly give away give way before me in order to let me pass. So he's saying that an important thing here is that he remained aware of his surroundings even now that he is passing through this process, right? He is still the same person. He is still aware that he came into this hospital. He is still aware of the hospital and what happened to it, you know? When we speak again, uh, what I spoke about at the beginning, about the awareness of those who have died with our, with our life, right? And one of the reasons that we, we ask for the intercession of the saints is because we believe that those saints in heaven, God has allowed them to see our plight on earth. So when we ask them, can you pray for me about such and such, that this has a meaning to them, that they have an understanding of it. And there are many examples from the history of the church where saints and, and different people will appear in some kind of a vision uh, to the believers who are alive on earth, and they will be aware of their situation, right? They will be aware of what they are going through. And here, definitely, this man was, even though he had died, was still aware of himself, right? He had consciousness. He had awareness um, not only of his spirit, but also of his body. Um, somewhere further, deeper into the earth, yes, namely into the earth, and I wanted to lie on the floor, I exerted myself and began tossing about agony. I heard this word pronounced over me by the doctor. Since I did not speak being completely concentrated within myself. And since my glance expressed a complete absence of effect in relation to the surrounding world, the doctors evidently decided that I was in an unconscious state and spoke about me audibly without restraint. But meanwhile, I not only excellently understood all, but it was impossible for me not to think and observe to a certain degree. You know, maybe implicitly, the only other time that we experience unconsciousness or that the appearance of death from our body is like sleep, you know, where we lose consciousness. And, and we who are asleep 
do not remember being asleep, are not aware of the passage of time, even though from the outside, someone observing us, it kind of looks the same as death, in the sense that we are unconscious. But here you see in this man that there was no state of unconsciousness. This is not sleep. Death is not the same as sleep. It is not that we lose consciousness and we suddenly awaken in a place. It is a continuity of consciousness. It is, it is being awake. And actually, according to what we're going to see from his description later on, it is being even more awake than our awakeness here in the world. It is being so attuned to our senses, to our understanding, to being able to comprehend that it is even a greater kind of comprehension than what we experience in the world. So again, sleep is not, or death is not like sleep. Death is being awake. Death is not being unconscious. Agony, death, I thought, having heard the words of the doctor. Am I really dying? Turning to myself, I spoke out loud, but how? Why? I cannot explain this. I suddenly remembered a learned discourse dealing with the question of this, of, wh of whether or not death is painful, which I once read long ago. And having closed my eyes, I examined myself with regard to what was taking place in me at the time. No, I felt no physical pain whatsoever, but undoubtedly I was suffering. I, I felt heavy within and weary. What was this from? But undoubtedly I was suffering. Sorry. What was this from? I knew of what sickness I was dying. What was the case here? Was the edema choking me, or was it depressing the activity of the heart, and was it making me weary? I do not know. Perhaps such was the explanation of my oncoming death according to the ideas of those people of the world, which now was so alien and remote from me. I, however, only felt an insurmountable striving towards somewhere, an attraction towards something concerning which I have already spoken. And I felt that this attraction increased with each moment that, that I already had just uh, about come very close, almost in contact with that magnet which was attracting me. So he continued to feel this feeling of attraction to something. He continued to feel like being drawn downward, as he described. Which, if I should touch, would cause me, with my whole body, to become fused with it, to grow into one with it it in, a, in such a manner that no force would then be capable of separating me from it. And the more strongly I felt the proximity of this moment, the more fearful and depressed I became. And this was so because I simultaneously felt a resistance to this with increasing clarity. I felt more clearly that I as a whole could not unite, that something had to separate within me, and that this something was striving away from the unknown object, uh, unknown object of attraction with the same intensity that the something else in me was striving towards it. It was this struggle that caused me weariness and suffering. The meaning of the word agony, which I heard, was entirely understood by me. But now everything in me somehow turned away from my relationship and feelings and extend to my conceptions inclusively. Without doubt, if I had heard the word even at the time when, these three when, uh, when the three doctors were examining me, I would have been frightened to an alarming degree. So now he's starting to feel like this conflict inside of him. Part of him is being attracted to something, but part of him also was fri frightened. And we're going to see this, that part of what we as Orthodox believe in death is there is what's called the crossing over. And this crossing over 
essentially going from life in the world on earth to life in paradise is a difficult process. And that's because it is such a, it, it, it is such a new thing to us. And, and again, this man, still with his senses, um, was frightened. If you read in the book of um, Revelation, when St. John is receiving the revelation of heaven, you see many times that St. John is frightened. He's like frightened to the point where he like collapses. He's so frightened. The idea here is not that we should be afraid, but certainly anything new for us as believers is a frightful thing. Our trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that even as we go through this process and he is leading us to our home in heaven, that he is protecting us and that he is guiding us. But you can see clearly in the life of this man that he is frightened by what is about to happen to him. Likewise, if such a strange turn of events had not taken place in my sickness, if I remained in the or ordinary state of a sick man, even at the present moment, I, knowing that, death is uh, knowing that death is approaching, I would have understood and explained all that had taken place with me differently. But in the present state, the words of the doctor only surprised me, not having aroused the feeling of fear which is characteristic of people who are thinking about death. And I gave an entirely unexpected, in comparison with my previous conceptions, interpretation to the state which I was experiencing. So essentially he's saying, I would have never thought these things on my own. I would have never understood it this way. I would, uh, this is not what I believe to happen except that I'm actually experiencing it now. And so I can't, like, I, can't, I, can't, I can't find any other explanation for it because I'm actually going through this, even though if you would have asked me before this happened, I would have never admitted or said that this is the reality, this is what would have happened. <laughs> well now, so that's what it is. It is the earth that is drawing me so. Suddenly it dawned on me, that is to say, not me, but that which belongs to her, that which she let me have for a period of time. What is he referring to? What? Huh? His body, right? Because we were made of the dust, right? God says he, he took the dust of the earth and he formed Adam into a man and then he breathed life into him, right? So here he's saying as though the earth is calling me back to itself. That which I took from the earth, right, is taking back from me what is it that the earth had given me. And is the earth drawing it or is matter itself trying to return to her? And that which previously seemed so natural and true, and namely that after death I should turn completely to dust, now appeared unnatural and impossible. Fearing that his existence was about to end completely, he thought, no, as a whole, I as a whole shall not disappear. I cannot. I almost screamed out loud and made an attempt to free myself, to tear myself from that force which was attracting me. And suddenly I felt a calm within myself. I opened my eyes and everything that I saw in the course of that minute down to the slightest details registered in my memory with complete clarity. I saw that I was standing alone within a room. To the right of me, standing about something in a semicircle, the whole medical staff was crowded together, having put his hands behind himself and gazing intently at something which, was I, which I was unable to see due to the figures uh, that stood, uh, uh, to see due to their figures stood the head physician behind him, slightly bent forward. The younger physician, 
The old assistant doctor, holding a bag of oxygen in his hands with indecision, shifted from one leg to the other, evidently not knowing what to do with his apparatus, either to bear it away or not to do so, since it could still be of use. And the young doctor, having bent down, was supporting something, but due to his shoulder, I was only able to see the pillows. This group struck me with surprise at the place where they, where they were standing, there was a bed. What was it that drew the attention of these people? What were they looking at when I already was not there, but I was standing in the midst of the room? I moved forward and looked what they were all, uh, where they were all were looking. On the bed I was lying. I do not have, I do not, uh, have any recollection, recollection of experiencing anything like fear when seeing my double. I only was perplexed. How can this be? I, f I feel myself here, and at the same time, I am there also. I looked at myself standing in the midst of the room. Why this, without doubt, was me, exactly the same as I always knew myself to be. So he's describing what we've seen in many near-death experiences where he is standing outside of himself, and he is looking on the bed and seeing himself still lying there. I think this is a good stopping point. Um, If you want to um, pick up a free copy of the book, it's over here. Again, one per family, please, because we have a limited amount. Um, next time, we will continue with the story. Um, hopefully, we're getting close to the end of this part of it. Of course, he, he, he goes in a lot of detail. Um, we're we're going to try to cover as much as we can. Um, and then um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about each phase of what he is experiencing. Right now, he's just in the very first phase, which is the phase of death itself. Does anyone have any comments or questions? Yes. Yeah, so the question has to do with suicide. Right. Um, so in the scripture, one of the things the Lord tells the apostles is that there are sins that are leading to death and there are sins that are not leading to death. And for the sins that are not leading to death, we should pray about them. And the sins that are leading to death, we should not pray about them. This is why when a person commits suicide, we'll find that there is no funeral prayer for them. If we believe that that person has ended their life um, and essentially lost their salvation because of that. There are cases where, where a person who ends their life, we believe that they did so because of mental illness. And so when, when a person ends their life because of mental illness, we don't know how God is going to judge this person. So we give them the benefit of the doubt and we pray a funeral for them, even though it committed suicide. But certainly we see suicide as a sin. Why? It is just as murder, the same reason murder is a sin. God gives us our bodies, and even though it is my body, but I am not free to end my life because this life was given me to by, uh, by God, and he is the only one who can end the life. So we see that suicide is sin, but at the same time, we acknowledge that 
there are reasons, maybe because of mental illness, that a person might commit suicide, and we leave this judgment to God, and this is why if we see some kind of, um, some kind of statement like from a doctor saying that he suspects or he, this person has a mental illness, then we will pray funeral and we pray that God will receive their soul into paradise. But obviously God is the judge. God is the one who decides. Any other question or comment? Yes. So, some people say that the spirit of a person who has died kind of remains on earth for a time before they go. But again, this is not a teaching. You know, this is not like we don't have a teaching about this. The Lord never revealed to us this. So all we can say is when it comes to any kind of supernatural apparition, that we have to be very careful because the devil is very deceiving to us. I'll give you the example. In the book of Samuel, um, after Samuel the prophet had died, King Saul was king, and he wanted advice of what to do when it came to fighting the Philistines. And Samuel had always been like a source of advice and, and, and kind of telling Saul the will of God so that he would know what decisions to take for his kingdom. But Samuel was dead. So he went to a medium, and in the, the, he asked this medium to raise from the dead the spirit of Samuel so he could speak to Samuel, okay? And it is recorded that he saw the spirit of Samuel rising from the dead and that he spoke with the spirit of Samuel. The church fathers say about this that this was not actually the spirit of Samuel, but it was a deceiving spirit because a medium who is practicing the occult does not have the power to call someone from the dead, right? Like God is the one who placed the spirit of, of Samuel in Hades, all right? Because in the Old Testament, everybody went to Hades. The, the gates of paradise only opened for us when the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Um, so so it, is, it is only for God to do this. And certainly a demonic medium could not do this. So we believe that this was not actually Samuel. But the devil took the form of Samuel. So we can see how like, the, 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 the devil is able to take different forms. So even if there is a story where someone says that they see the spirit of a loved one, we have to be skeptical about it because we don't know. Is it possible for God to make such a person appear in the spirit? Yes, it is possible. Does it mean that if I see it that it's true? No, it's not, not necessary. Okay. Anyone else? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for revealing to us, O Lord, what is it that we can expect after this life, and that you said you would go ahead of us to prepare a place for us. We thank you, O Lord, because you offered us an eternity of joy and delight in your kingdom. 
and that even though, O Lord, the process of leaving the body might be a frightful one, but we trust in you, O Lord, that you will lead us, O Lord, to your heavenly kingdom according to your will in peace. Teach us, O God, how to live a life that is pleasing to you, and through readings books like this and remembering, O Lord, what ca happens to the body at the time of death, help us, O God, to draw closer to you and to be more faithful, O Lord, in our lives and more serious and paying attention and alert because we know, O Lord, that each of us will pass through this door and each of us, O Lord, will stand before you in judgment. Strengthen us, O Lord, as a church. Strengthen each of us, O Lord, in our life and teach us your ways and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all.